0: Good morning and welcome to Morning Java, brought to you as always by GetGo Cafe and Market, where Dale, at all times, they've got fresh food, fresh drinks, and it's a great chance to get yourself some of that for lunch. They're very safe. They make sure that you can do contactless if you want. Dale, I've been taking a lot of advantage of GetGo in this, in this time. Yeah, you look like it. <laughs> I hate your guts. Anyways. Anyways. Um, let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about, um, the obvious news. Matt Canada has been announced as officially being promoted to the pit, to the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator position. Um, uh, with that, you know, this was the report that came out a couple weeks ago. And then we saw in the interview, Hugh Jackson and stuff, Dale, what do you think went into you know, the early announcement from the report that was had and between that time and them trying to see if other people are options.
1: Well, I mean, they, they had to, they had to adhere to the Rooney rule. Um, You can't just simply promote somebody, even if he's on your staff, Mm -hmm. Uh, you still have to interview minority coaches. And, and and I do think that, that Mike Tallman has a lot of respect for Hugh Jackson. I think, you know, he has a lot of respect for Pep Hamilton. So, it doesn't hurt to also go outside your organization and especially, you know, with a couple of coaches who have have coached against your team in recent years uh, to just to get an idea of, of what other people think of your personnel, Um, you know, pick their brains. Hey, how would you do this? Or what would you do if you had, for example, Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career, things of that nature uh, that, that you do. But I think all along, um, You know, when when Mike Tomlin hired Matt Canada, it was with the idea that, hey, this guy's going to bring some different ideas to our to our, the offense, Uh, and so you know he wants to see that uh, sh- through to fruition here and, and see if Canada can have a, a or make an impact with this offense.
0: Now, the thing that everyone's going to do from now until whenever whenever the Steelers announce and Ben Roethlisberger announced what's coming with a an extension or a retirement, everyone's going to either say, a this uh, so this promotion of Matt Canada means that Ben's done, or B, it means that this is exactly what Ben wants, and this offense is just going to stay the same next year. Um, I, I think it's. I, I always try to th- say that things aren't as simple as people make them out to be. There's often a lot of different variants into the conversation. I, I, but I do think the main thing here isn't about necessarily Ben itself. I think it's about they believe Matt Canada can get this offense where it needs to go, regardless of where Ben is in the next couple years.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, they didn't make this hire with, well, we you know we got to make Ben happy, or or this is what Ben wants. Um, he's probably only going to be around at most for uh, you know more, a couple of years, even if you know at right. Most. It, yep. and they can't look that far down the road with this. So you have to hire the best guy available, or who, who the guy who you think is the best available for the job, not just for twenty twenty one, but for the future. And so that's that's the hire that Mike Tomlin made. Um, you know, I, I think he's staking a lot on this one. Uh, this is an important hire, as I, as I wrote on the website. Uh, this is a pivotal moment in Steelers history. Uh, you know, just like 1983 was a pivotal moment in Steelers history. You're moving on uh, in the near future. Uh, you know, if not if not this offseason, then perhaps next offseason from your franchise quarterback. And so you know, Matt Canada will have a, a big role in helping them to choose that next potential franchise quarterback or, you know, at least being, you know, finding that bridge or whoever it may be uh, between Ben and whoever. Um, So it's a big moment.
0: So, Dale, everyone's talking about this offseason. The Steelers got to invest in the offensive line. They got to get a running back. You gotta, they need to get the next quarterback. But one position that I think isn't being talked about enough is the important to invest an inside linebacker. Considering the Steelers' cap situation and the need to invest at in these other positions, how, how legitimate do you think there's a chance that the Steelers do make a significant move to back up Devin Bush at some point in this offseason?
1: I don't know about a significant move, but I expect him to, to try to acquire – an athletic linebacker uh, at some point in the draft, whether that be the, uh, you know taking another shot on a, on a guy in the sixth round like they did with Ulysses Gilbert two years ago. Um, obviously, he's dealt with some injury issues, uh, but he'll be back again this year, and and, and certainly um, you know that's a possibility that that uh, you know maybe he'll get a chance to win that spot. But I would bring in some competition for him because I think Vince Williams is going to end up being a cap casualty. Uh, you know they'll, they'll go with Robert Spillane there beside Devin Bush. And you know, I, I think you need to find guys who are more like Devin Bush than you uh, than you do find guys, or than you need guys like uh, like Spillane and and and, and uh, Williams.
0: Now, that's the thing is that Vince Williams not only was good at, you know, as good as a battering ram against the run, but he was also you know a, a pretty good interior pass rusher when you matched up with a matched him up with a running back, he often blew them over. But Robert Spillane showed that he could at least be a solid backer in the middle of the field next, next to Devin Bush. But, you know, one thing to consider is when Bush is, is isn't available and then you have him and events Williams out there, or this year when they got Avery Williamson, it just doubled down on the, you know, the old school Buck style of linebacker. Who's, you know, he's, he's more he emphasizes more working in tight, tighter spaces and, you know, having to hit more than having to go sideline to sideline or cover big spaces.
1: Yeah, and that's the problem is is finding those those athletic linebackers who can both, uh, you know, stuff the run and cover the pass. Um, that's why you trade up for Devin Bush. Um, you know, they need to find you know the, those those coverage linebackers are more available now than they've ever been before. A lot of uh, a lot of the college colleges going to those lighter type guys uh, because of what they see with the spread offenses in college. So you know they should be able to get a guy like that in the fifth, sixth, even maybe even the seventh round just to. Uh, You know, an athletic guy who they can kind of work into that that situation. Um, You know, it it can't be any worse than running Marcus Allen out there. He (laughs) stinks.
0: Uh no yeah that's the uh that that's the thing right there is that Marcus Allen was a complete emergency but they need but but the whole point is they need someone who's athletic enough that can go that can move in space but also good enough as a linebacker to help against the run because you know when you don't have that that presence we saw how the Steelers run defense took a severe dip as soon as Devin Bush was out uh for you know you know this this season so uh, finding that balance, it's not easy to do. But again, you know, I think the big thing is here is they drafted Devin Bush 10th overall for a reason because he can be the Batman. He just needs a Robin. And the Steelers over the years have had several decent inside linebackers who they didn't have to draft very high to get. So I'm, I'm right with you. I think that it doesn't take a huge investment, but I think it will need to be a smart pick that can pair with Devin Bush and work well in that situation. Switching topics as we did last week, we did football for two. Now we're doing some pit hoops. Now, Dale, everybody was riding high after Pitt beat Duke and they had swept Syracuse, and it kind of came. Was something predictably because everyone's like, you know, this would be a very pit thing to do to beat those teams and then lose to Wake Forest. And then they lost to Wake Forest. Now I've been covering them this whole time. And uh, Jeff Capel was not happy with the practice that led into, led into Wake Forest. And he was talking about after the game, like this was, this was what I was worried about that we haven't matured to this point. What do you think it takes to get a college basketball team to buy into taking each game seriously? I know these guys are just college students, but still, this is this is still this is a problem that they continue to run into.
1: You know, as Bill Cower used to say, you never want to get too high with the highs or too low with the lows. You want to be even keeled and and take every opponent you know seriously. You're never going to, uh, you know, you, you can't take games off. You can't have, uh, you know, the, the kind of nights that the Pit had against uh, against Wake Forest, where, you know missing shot after shot layups and, and, and things of that nature not getting uh, out to contest three pointers uh, you know allowing guys who are averaging eight points a game to go off for 31 points what mm-hmm. happened allowing Justin Champagny to to basically um, stand there by himself for, for long periods of time without getting your best player of the basketball that's just basketball 101. yeah uh, to me that's part of uh, of, of the Xavier Johnson uh, issue. I don't think he's a true point guard. Hmm. Um, you know, true point guards don't look to, for their own shot, necessarily. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas could have scored 40 points a game if he wanted to. He was that talented of an offensive player. Instead, you know, he he took it upon himself to, to become more of a, a facilitator than be a, a scorer. And that was when those Pistons of the 80s, those teams went from being – uh, they're, they're an okay team to being a great basketball team because you didn't know where the scoring was going to come from now when 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 push came to shove in crunch time moments a lot of times Thomas would take those shots um but for mo- you know most of the game he was facilitating helping the other guys get into the game and that's what pushed that team over the top helped them become a championship team you see that with a lot of great teams John Stockton could have scored his you know he could have scored a lot if he wanted to to me Xavier Johnson is still a shoot first point guard and I, I just don't think that that's something that works I, I think your point guard has to be a guy who takes a shot when it comes to him because there are going to be times when, when you do get your shot but your main job is is to run the offense and distribute the basketball and get the ball to your scorers and you know Champney is your scorer you got to get him you got to get him more touches
0: you have to especially you saw in the like you said in the second half of the game. There were so many times he was just, he was in the baseline, he was in the post, he was in, he was on the wing, and he was, and he wouldn't get the ball and it would be a wasted possession. Um, and that's, and and, and sometimes it wasn't even Xavier. Sometimes it was Femi Otacali, and we saw him take a few, uh, you know, shots that, 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 you know, weren't the best, uh, shot options there. I, they have to get back to play that way because when, when Xavier Johnson is high on assists, when he's, when he, when him and Femi Otacali are distributing the the basketball, Pitt plays very well. And that's how they beat Duke. That's how they beat Syracuse both times. That's how they were able to get a comeback against Northwestern. They, they, they work the offense, they find the open man and they let those guys do the work. Um, and, and I get sometimes when things aren't going your way that you want that you feel like you want to do more. But Xavier Johnson has to has to limit that in himself to try to do too much. You know, there was at one point in the game against Wake Forest where he drove in. He drew a block, he, he drew a uh, they, they drew a jar, charge on him and he was losing it afterwards. And you see him look to the bench and you couldn't. You couldn't tell what Jeff Capel said to him, but you saw that there was communication because then he immediately chapped, Johnson immediately tapped his chest, like "Okay, I understand. I have to do better." And then he, and then after that, he started to realize it. But it just it clicked far too late for him. This has been the the measuring stick for some time for me, for Xavier Johnson, and for this pit team if he can stay within himself and it's good to have that explosiveness it's, it's good to use that on the fast break but if he could if he could stay within himself and and better use that to run the offense that's when this team gets truly dangerous but when you play a team like Wake Forest and you see them put up those shots what's going to happen when you start playing the teams that have consistent shooters that don't average 8 points a game that they're averaging 15 points a game because they can shoot you're going to get you're going to get blown, blown out the uh, blown out the game uh you know blown off the court when, instead of losing by one point
1: yeah, so much of it to me just comes down. I mean, guys are going to have hot shooting days, very true. Um, and, and you know, you, you it, it, when you get into those situations, when a guy's hot like that, you just sometimes you just have to man him up and and yep. not allow him to get the basketball. Uh, I don't care what they do, you have to make sure that that guy can't get the get, can't get the ball in his spots. But so much of it, you know, when you go through a scoreless stretch like they did in the second half. Against against Wake Forest, where I don't even know what the scoreless stretch was, but it, they were stuck <laughs> on. I think it was like forty-seven points for a mm-hmm. long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that comes down to the point guard. You have to be in control of the game. You have to be, and if you're not, if you're if you're having uh, you know bad trips down down the court, you can't take that to the defensive end with you, and you have to forget it. Play, playing point guard is almost like playing quarterback in the mm-hmm. NFL or playing cornerback in the NFL where you have to have a short memory. You're going to turn the ball over. You're going to miss some shots here and there. You're going to miss open guys, but you have to move on and get the next one. And to me right now, that's what Xavier Johnson, that's that's something that he needs to learn. Maybe he learned it in that game. We'll see moving forward.
0: Certainly will. They have a tough test tonight at home against UNC, who's won four out of their last five games.